1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au.
0: The greatest passion that those who are theocentric have is to bring others to God.
1: Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We've heard the biblical Jesus is the saviour of the world and the Lord of the earth and its harvest. As we continue, perception may not be reality. Pastor Jeff gives us two other statements that help us to truly know the Jesus of the Bible.
0: But the Bible says the day will come when he's had enough. I am tired of the evil in this world propagated by the devil and his followers. I'm gonna put an end to it all, once and for all. And Jesus, the peaceful lamb, becomes the wrathful lamb who's the terminator of everything that is evil.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines and we continue Perception May Not Be Reality. Now follow
0: me here, Philippians 2, a great scene is painted for us by the Apostle Paul. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want you to imagine what that will look like. Stay with me now. You got to grasp this. According to the Bible, what will happen? When Jesus returns, there will be this sea of people, a multitude of people who will be bowing and confessing. It doesn't mean they'll actually believe it, but the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus goes to great lengths to teach us during his ministry that the reality is when that day comes, most people will fall into the category of of egocentric. They will have lived their lives for their own purpose, their own goals, their own pursuit, their own selfish aggrandizement, even though they're confessing it because every group will confess, most of the people on that day would have lived an ecocentric life. But then there's another group of people. They're theocentric. They realized a long time ago that this life is not about them, it's about God. It's about what he's doing in your life and about what he's doing in the world. If I'm egocentric, I believe that I am the Lord of my life. It's my life, my money, my rights, my convenience, and my objectives, and my greatest concern is building my kingdom and my relationships and my pleasure. And Jesus says that other group, theocentric, where God is the center, their entire life is interested in what God is doing in the world and how God can use us to impact the world for his name to expand his kingdom on the earth. The highest interest is discovering my gifts and using them for the glory of God. And my most intense belief then becomes that all I have belongs to God. Everything I am is his. And my whole life mission is to take the resources God has given to me and spend least of them, less of them on myself so that I may give more and more away to expand his kingdom on the earth. And the greatest passion that those who are theocentric have is to bring others to God. Now here's the thing. As I read the Bible, I learn that in the same way that mom comes home, Jesus is coming back to claim what is his. He is Lord of the earth and you and I are gonna be held accountable for the way we've lived our lives. He comes home and he's gonna ask us what we've been doing and it's going to matter. As a matter of fact, now this is where it gets a little tough. He's not only Lord of the earth, he's Lord of the harvest. In Matthew chapter 25, he paints a scene to help us understand what it's going to be like in the end of time. He says, when Jesus returns or when the Lord of the earth, the harvest returns, you're going to have the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. Now, what's curious about the way Jesus teaches when you combine it with Matthew 13 is both groups think they're in. Both groups think that they're where they ought to be. And Jesus says, I'll tell you how to tell the difference between the two. Both will claim saving power, but they won't have the salvation power in, evident in their lives. There'll be no real change. There'll be no real passion to change. No passion for the hurting. The hungry will come and they won't feed them. The thirsty will come and they will not give them drink. The stranger will come, but they will not bite them in. The naked will come, but they will not clothe them. And those who are in prison will not be visited by them. There will be people who claim that I'm part of the harvest. But in reality, they have no desire to heal the world. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this, something that American Jesus would not like, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. We don't like to think of a Jesus who would escort us into eternal punishment. That's not the American Jesus. The American Jesus is one of love only. The waiter who gives you everything that you want. Not the one who comes back and holds us accountable for the manner in which we've lived our lives. In Revelation 14, the Bible talks about the day of harvest, the judgment. And one angel says to the next in verse 18, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. The biblical Jesus? Is viewed as reaping the harvest and taking the wicked, and the symbolism is taking them into the wine press and crushing and stomping them and wounding and bruising till the blood flows. That's not the American Jesus, but that's the biblical Jesus. As a matter of fact, one of the most fascinating word studies you can ever do is the word translated wrath in your Bible. It comes from two words, orge and thumos. Orge is like a volcanic wrath. It builds, it builds, it builds and explodes. Thumos is a more quick wrath. It happens and then quickly subsides. The only time in the Bible that both those words are combined is in the book of Revelation. And the most intensive time is in Revelation 19, talking about Jesus when he returns on the white horse. And it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. Now that's language we don't like. Preachers don't like to talk about these things. And this message is not being preached in most of our churches in America. I mean, you think about what I'm saying. I'm saying that a good image might be Jesus the Terminator. But the Bible says the day will come when he's had enough. That he's patient, that he's long-suffering, that he wants the very best for every one of us. But the day will come when he will say, I'm tired of my name being abused. I'm tired of it being taken in vain. I am tired of the evil of this world propagated by the devil and his followers. I'm going to put an end to it all once and for all. And Jesus, the peaceful lamb, becomes the wrathful lamb who's the terminator of everything that is evil. And that's not a popular Jesus, man. We want the butler or the CEO or the laughing party or the gentle feminine Jesus who's in touch with his feminine side. And the reality is, Jesus is a little bit of all of these. It is true. But primarily, I want you to know that the American Jesus doesn't look anything like the biblical Jesus. He's the savior of the world and the Lord of the earth and the Lord of everything you own and everything you are and the Lord of the harvest. He will decide in the end
1: who goes on the sheep side and the goat side. This is today with Jeff Vines and his message, Perception May Not Be Reality. Do we worship the Jesus of the Bible using all we have to further his kingdom? Let's continue with Pastor Jeff.
0: And then the third part, Jesus is Lord of your life. When we were growing up in this little town, Valley Forge, behind our house, there was a great big field. We had the garden over next to the house. We were very poor, four boys living in one bedroom you imagine the fights? Double bunk beds. And all I remember, it's funny, the only thing I can remember is the Archies. Isn't that strange? You know, the Archies, remember them? Some of you are older, yeah, just play that record all the time. Never mind. you're looking at me like you're totally lost, it's okay. Shows you my age right there. And so we would go back behind the house on a Sunday afternoon after church and we would do something that I really enjoyed. We'd play softball together as a family. And I remember those days. And I was getting a little older and I was getting a little closer to my father. He was becoming my buddy. And so I felt a little liberty as I grew up and got a little older. And so during this one softball game on a Sunday afternoon, I started talking trash to my dad like I would my brothers. Hey, dad, you stink. You couldn't hit the broad side of a barn door. You're terrible. Give it up. And you know, the more I did it, that's what happens when you rebel. It just feels better the more you do it. And so I just kept doing, I got aggressive. Dad, you're, get off the field. You shouldn't even be out here. And I thought it was funny. I was just laughing, you know. And finally, my dad made a call, said, you're out. And I said, who made you the umpire? Who made you the ruler of the baseball field? My dad had had enough. (laughs) He said to my brothers, I want you to get in the house with your mother. Jeff, you come with me. And he took me to that all too familiar place called Woodshed Ministry. And he took me behind the woodshed. And my dad said, son, he said, uh, I'm glad that you're, we're buddies and that we're having a good time. I like that. He said, but let me tell you something. We're buddies and I'm your buddy and I love you, but I'm the boss in this relationship. You got that? And don't let me ever hear you talking to me like that again. I'm the authority. You do what I say and don't question. Do you understand? And man, I understood. <laughs> But that's Jesus. Jesus says, I love you, Jeff. I do, and I'll be there for you, but I'm the authority in this relationship. I'm the boss, you do what I say. And you don't get to have a say in what is right or wrong. I've already told you that. Your job is to obey unconditionally and stop rationalizing and stop treating me like we're buddy-buddy. I'll be your friend, but I'm the one in charge. Do you understand? You see, the Jesus of the Bible says, when you sign on the dotted line, you're not in charge anymore. He's in charge and you do what he says. Now that's important because I want you to look at this passage in Romans eight, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now I'm almost finished. So stay with me. I want to ask you a question. What is it in that passage that's been predestined? that you would be conformed to the image of God's son. In other words, when you come to salvation, you get to choose. God gives you your freedom. You operate within your free will. You can choose to receive Jesus or to reject him. But once you sign on the dotted line, there's something that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your freedom. God says, once you sign on the dotted line, you are going to be conformed to the image of my son and it's gonna be painful. It's gonna hurt because there's a lot of conforming that needs to go on. I keep getting emails and conversations from people who talk to me about, well, my marriage isn't giving me all that I want. I'm not having the pleasure in my marriage that I deserve. Sometimes I want to take some of these guys behind the woodshed and introduce them to my dad. Let me, who told you that marriage was all for your pleasure? Where'd you get that? Is that in the Bible? Let me tell you, marriage is God's number one institution to conform you to the likeness of his son. You get married, I guarantee your wife will start conforming you. (laughs) You're going to learn what it is to sacrifice. You're going to learn what it is. You're going to learn what it is to return a soft word sometimes when you don't want to. You're going to learn what it is to turn the other cheek. You're going to learn what it is to give rather than take. It's time we understood that marriage is not meant for you to be 100% eternally happy. It's for you to give and to take and learn what it is to be Christ-like. And along the way, God throws a little pleasure in there. Thank God he does that. (laughs) Here's the the point. Jesus, Savior. Jesus, Lord of the harvest. Lord of the earth. He's going to return. But ultimately, I just want you to know something. That when you sign on to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you give up everything to him. And you obey him even when it's hard. And even when you don't agree with it, it should be that way. You have no say in that. You obey him. That's what you. That's what his lordship is all about. And you know the reason we don't is because our God is too small. Remember when I was a little boy, my mommy used to say, "Jeffrey, how big are you?" And I'd say, "I'm so big," because you talk about how much you're growing. How big are you, little you know, Jeffrey? And I'd say, "I'm so big." Isn't it amazing how I remember that? I'm so big but the reality is your God is so small. You don't trust that if you do what he says to do, it will be better for you. You don't trust him or that he will deliver on his part. That's why Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what. And he doesn't say it is I. I don't like that translation. Literally, he says, I am. And Jesus only says, I am, when he wants to talk about his pre-existing state, that he had a part in the creation. He's saying this to Peter. Peter, you want to know who it is? I'll tell you who it is. It's the one who made you that boat, that water, the winds and the wave. I command every one of it. So if I tell you to come, you get out of the boat and you start walking. And he said, okay. And he started to walk and he trusted God for about, who knows, two or three steps. And then his faith in God faltered and he began to sink. When Jesus gives you a command, when he tells you not to sleep with your boyfriend until you're married, but you violate it, it's because you don't really trust him that there is a better way. You don't, or you would obey. Your God is too small. When he tells you to give up the addiction that's ruining your life, that's stuck to you like Velcro, you're afraid that he won't be there on the other side when the shivers and the pain begin to come. You don't do it and you don't obey him because your God is too small. Man, when I was a little kid, I had a red rider bicycle with two baskets on the side. I was a paper boy. And I could roll up those papers, put a rubber band around it, just rode down the street hitting the houses. Man, it was fun. I made a game out of it and got paid. But there was a boy on Mulberry Street. I wouldn't tell you his name, but he's probably in Leavenworth now. And so he was a bully. And every time I'd ride my bicycle down, he would just wait on me after school to push me over on my bicycle. He was mean the devil incarnate. (laughs) And I didn't want to tell my dad because I was ashamed. Because my dad always said, hey, bow your neck, be tough and deal with it. Well, I didn't want to tell my dad I was afraid, but he was so much bigger, stronger and older than I was. Wasn't fair. My brother, Tim, who's four years older than me and who was the Tennessee State High School wrestling champion for the 120 pound weight division. He found out. He was a little guy, but he's strong wasn't built like me. I'm tall and thin. He was short and stuck. And he came to me one day. He says, I hear that so-and-so giving you a hard time. He said, Jeff, do you want me to take care of it? I said, yeah. <laughs> I don't need a speech right now, but I have to face my own giants. I just want him eliminated. He said, okay. All right. I'll tell you what, I'll go with you on your paper route tomorrow. I'll follow behind you. I turned down Mulberry street. My brother's behind me. I got to tell you, I was feeling good. Yeah. I felt strong and cur- I felt boldness I hadn't felt in a long time. I just knew today was the day of reckoning, even if it was brought by somebody else. <laughs> and I'm going down the street and I get, I'm getting closer to his home. And I keep looking to make sure he's there. That's that's where my courage is based on the fact that my brother's there. And I park my bike so that he won't see me coming about two or three houses up, put the kickstand down. And I want to tell you, the closer I got to his house, the more brave I felt. I kept walking, walking, walking. I walked right up the stairs, right on the front porch, knocked on the door. He came to the door and I slugged him right in the nose. That's your future pastor, Christ Church in the Valley. <laughs> and after I slugged him, I ran as fast as I could. Because I told Dane Johnson many times, I think I can run faster scared than most people can angry. And so he's chasing me. I'm running as fast as I can. He runs to chase me and my big brother steps between us. And he says, if you ever touch my brother again, you'll eat these newspapers in this bag. You got that? He never bothered me again, ever. And you know why? I had somebody strong behind me. He wasn't afraid of me. Do you know that's how it is with God? He, he's behind you, and whatever he asks you to do, no matter how hard it is, he's right there, and your God is too small. God is big, and he, whatever he asks you to do is the Lord of your life. What is it? What habits stuck to you? You got to get rid of, but you won't. What, what decision do you need to make that you won't make, even though you know the Lord of your life told you to? What things aren't evident in your life, and they're not helping you to grow? because you're not in the word and you're not in prayer and you know that's what God wants you to do but you don't do it and you're paying a heavy price for it. You remember in Acts what happened when Paul told King Agrippa his story? And the Bible tells us that he said, I was on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden I was blinded by light and he heard a voice and the voice said that Paul had been kicking against the goads. You know what a goat is? A goat is something that you prod cattle with when you want it to move in a different area. It's sharp. So Paul is saying, all my life, God has been prodding me to move in a different direction, but it took drastic measures. He had to drop me on the road to Damascus, blind me, bring me to the end of myself before I would change. And I want to tell you, many of you have spent your entire life kicking against the goads. And God is trying to prod you in a different direction, but you keep kicking and fighting, you won't do it. And I want to tell you, it's only going to get more intense for you. Because God's not going to stop; He's going to prod and prod till you start going in the right direction. Remember in C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia, the little boy said he was going to meet Aslan, the lion, who was a type of Christ figure. And he said about Aslan, he said, "Is he is he safe?" And the response came back, "No, he's not safe." Who said anything about safe? But he's good. You sign on the dotted line. It's not safe. That's the Jesus of the Bible. But it's good. It's good. Father, we are grateful today for your goodness to us, for your mercy, for the way you speak to us in our lives, for the call on our lives to your Lordship. I pray in Jesus' name that you would forgive us where we've been all too ready to embrace you as Savior, but very hesitant to accept you as our Lord and the authority of our lives. Even though your law, again, is not given arbitrarily, but motivated out of love for us, that this way is the best way, your life is the best life. And I pray for anyone here this morning who's having great difficulty making a decision that would place them back into a right relationship with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would let them know that you are a big God who is capable of delivering on all your promises. And as we submit to your Lordship, you are more than willing to be in our corner to back us up, to protect us, to take us to a land of safety. That as we honor you in keeping your commandments, that you then honor us with an abundant life. We pray your forgiveness. We pray for courage. We all fail. Everybody on the stage and everybody in this auditorium, we are all sinners and we know it. Our only prayer is that You would give us the courage and we would be more intentional of obeying Your Word that You might be the Lord and Saviour of our lives in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of Perception May Not Be Reality. The Jesus of the Bible is the world's Saviour, the Lord of the earth and its harvest. He will return. And when you choose to follow Him, He has authority over our lives. I hope you can join us next time for a new message from Pastor Jeff. To restructure means to reconsider your strategy, to redeploy
0: your resources. Jesus is the Lord of your life and Jesus right out of the chute says, you better be willing to make some changes and restructure. That's what it means to follow the biblical Christ.